Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its authority and that it is final. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you could turn to Mark chapter 10, I'm going to be taking a break from the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts for, I don't know, quite a long time. And I'm going to be taking a break from that, and I'm going to speak about serving. I'm going to preach the next two weeks just into service and try to paint the understanding of service in the body of Christ with a different brush, with a different picture. I grew up serving all my life in the church. There were times when it was difficult, times when I didn't enjoy it. We've all been hurt and abused, in a sense, by controlling leaders in the past. I do actually think that the opposite of leadership is control. But we all have an idea of what service looks like. So I want to try paint it with a different brush. But let me just say this. The desire is not to do church better. Please hear my heart. We're not here to do church well. We're here to advance the kingdom. That's simply what it is. And we all serve within a context. If we desire to do church better and have church competitions and all that non-biblical, strange stuff that I just don't understand. Friends, we're here to advance the king and his kingdom. That's it. But we have to do that well. We have to do it as excellently as we can. So we obviously need help. We have so many things going on right now in terms of God is moving. God is in our midst. We have so many testimonies happening. We cannot keep track of them all. I've asked Tommy to try to keep account of people either getting healed or like a really deep work person getting touched deeply by the Lord, supernatural activity, since I think February, and I think we're up to 67 things that God is doing, and we also try to carve out space even on a Sunday to just space to give testimonies, because God's doing it in the week. We had someone healed uh, two weeks ago of a serious issue. We don't know exactly what happened, but she had something where the leg wasn't working well and uh, circulation issues and heart and all the doctors were very worried and it looked like she was wearing a red sock. And remember when I said, you're a priest, look at your hand, you're a priest. Who remembers that? Okay, and people prayed for her and she went home and her leg was normal. So we have, it's awesome, yeah, it's awesome. So we're having so much of that take place, we just, we cannot keep track with it, we cannot keep up with it, which is wonderful. I'm taking a little bit of a step back uh, just I'm um, trying to build a stronger leadership team Focus on the leadership and just so that we can build a team so that the team can serve and lead the church together and so we met as a leadership team on Friday night it was wonderful there were many ministries represented there but let me say I, my personal focus I hope their focus is that the ministries that they in charge of and doing and, and focusing on would flourish and succeed it would be strange if I wanted them to fail but what they're doing in ministries is not my personal focus. My personal focus is them, the people, their marriage, their heart, their life. It's the people. I want them to flourish. What they do, we trust God will flourish, but my heart is the people. Because the Bible says we've been called to disciple the nations. We've been called to disciple people. And the Western church is built around meetings. Jesus built it around disciples. And we've been called to disciple. It takes people to disciple people. Amen? And so everything we'll be doing is in the context of bringing and raising up disciples. Many people equip themselves for ministry. The Bible says leaders are to equip people for ministry, to equip the work, the saints for the work of the ministry, not to equip ourselves. We have to obviously equip ourselves. But if that remains the focus, we've, we've misunderstood Scripture. We are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which is you. So we've just launched a preaching team. You haven't seen many of them yet, but we've just started to meet. We're beginning to train a preaching team and train them in these things so that you can have more people up here so we can embrace learning curves, yes, amen, as a body. Why? So that the saints 
are becoming equipped to do what they're called to do. Amen? So, that also requires serving. Serving for me is just very simply a vehicle. So, it's just a vehicle for you to grow and learn and, and touch sides with others to have iron shop and iron and so forth. So, I'm going to call this message the way of the master because that's what it is. Serving is the way of the master. So, if you can go to Mark chapter 10, you're going to look at two portions of scripture, Mark 10 and John 13. But if you can go to Mark 10, we're going to jump into verse 32. And it says this, Mark 10, 32. Now, when they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them. Let me start by saying, it says earlier on that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. The Old Testament said he set his face like flint. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. What was that talking about? There? The cross. Okay, so he set his face to go to Jerusalem. In our serving, whenever you serve in any capacity, I encourage you to keep the bigger picture in your heart and in your mind. Because if we lose track of the bigger picture, you get killed in the details. We get so destroyed in the details, we forget the why. And so, here it says Jesus is going to Jerusalem. That's the bigger picture. He's going to the cross to atone for mankind. And it says Jesus was going before them and they were amazed. And they followed and they were afraid. They were amazed and they were afraid because he had just spoken to them that, in a sense, persecution might come. But it still says even in that he goes before. Isn't that amazing? He always goes before. He always goes ahead. He's a shepherd. A shepherd goes before. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Saul, the king, was a donkey farmer. He led Israel like a donkey farmer, which is when you beat people from behind with a stick. That's how they do it. I've seen donkey farms in South Africa. That's how they lead. A shepherd goes ahead and he leads with a voice. Jesus went before them. There's a, and I've seen leaders that through control and abuse, they can try to push people instead of go before and lead people. And he says this, Then he took the twelve aside and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. He says, we. And he starts to speak. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And they're probably thinking, why did he say we? I don't... Why did he say we? He says... To the chief priests, to the scribes, they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. They will mock him, scourge him, spit on him, and kill him. And then the third day he will rise again. That's quite a thing to say. And probably also why they were amazed and afraid. Who of you have ever spoken to your children or your friends or other bosses to employees and they have what I would call an adolescent response? You've just given them something very weighty and they're like, uh, I, I want that. Who knows what I'm talking about? And you're like, uh, you're missing it. This is what happens here. If you're going to lead a team, or if you are leading a team, even in the business world, sometimes you bring something of weight, and there's just this little adolescent response. These guys, the sons of thunder, we've got to love them, James and John, <laughs> it's amazing. They call the sons of thunder. They were the ones who said, hey, Jesus, there's these people preaching in your name. Let's just call down fire. Let's just kill them. Jesus is like, no, guys, that's, that's not, no. So he says, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Now, Matthew 20, it, doesn't, it actually says they brought their mother, which also shows insecurity. Let's get our mom. He'll listen to my mom. Okay? That's literally what happened. You know, you see it even with Peter and John. When it says, Peter said to John, in John chapter 14, I think it is, he says, he leaned to John, he says, ask Jesus who it is that's going to betray him. Why? Because many people think, you know, Jesus loves, 
you, or he'll speak to you, but he won't speak to me. So Peter says to John, you ask Jesus, and he'll tell you. I don't think he'll tell me, but he'll tell you. You know, people have a relationship like that with the Lord and the body of Christ. So they bring their mother, and she kneels before him. Now think about the news he's just said. I'm going to die. So what do they say? Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And that's what they say. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left hand in your glory. So he says, I'm going to go die. And it's like, well, if that's going to happen, we better ask what we want now. Now, it was a little bit more weighty than that. The mother came, and she was sober, she was humble. But he actually, when the mother asked the question, he didn't answer the mother, he answered them. You'll see that in Matthew 20. He said, yeah, I'm speaking to you guys. And so they're trying to get something out of this process. How can we best take this pain, and how can I be glorified out of it, is, is their question. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. That's talking about the cross and death and suffering. If I could go back in time, I would want to go back in time and grab these guys and say, shh, don't say this. Because they say, we are able. So he turns and says, indeed you will then. Scary verse. I would run back and say, guys, just, mm -mm, just don't, just let's walk away. Let's go over here. That's what happened. He said, are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And they said to him, because of their desire for position, their desire for importance, their desire to be seen, they said, we are able. He said, indeed, you will be baptized with the same baptism. To long after position and title is very destructive sometimes. Very destructive. It has to be God who calls and God who appoints then he says to them, when the ten had heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. They're like, you asked him secretly, what about us? You know, it's like this adolescence, right? But Jesus called them to himself. It's like he said, guys, let's go over here. Let's deal with this. He says, now what did they ask? They ask, we want to sit in your right hand and your left. What is that? Leadership. That's governing. That's authority. We want to be in charge with you. So what does he start to teach them? He starts to teach them about leadership. He said, if you want to lead, this is what it looks like. He said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And who, whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man, this incredible verse, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That someone who had equality with God did not consider it something to be grasped, Philippians 2, 5-9, but made himself obedient unto death. He came in the likeness of a man. And then the Bible says after that, and therefore he was exalted to the highest place. We've said it before, the way up is down. To go up, go down. John the Baptist said it, I must decrease so that he can increase. It's the way of the master. You want to sit on my right and left? Serve. But you know, Matthew 23, 11 says this. He who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. Let's say that together. He who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. 
it is true that as I serve and as I, as I do things, we can grow because iron sharpens iron. We have different opinions. We get on a team. We get around people we don't like. Uh, we have to deal with stuff. And as you grow, the flesh gets knocked off and we begin to grow. And you begin to carry something. You begin to realize what God has done. Many things happen in the practical serving. But your serving can have more impact. Yes, you grow as you serve, but you're also called to grow so that you can serve. Let me explain it like this. Matthew 23, 11 says, the greatest among you will be your servant. No matter of spiritual ascension or ascension in spiritual matters in terms of however high you grow, serving never leaves because it's the DNA of the kingdom. It's the DNA. It's why Jesus came. It's the DNA of the kingdom. If I came to give us, to serve us to give. So if I came to somebody and I served them with financial blessing, I served them, they'd be blessed, not much. But if Bill Gates came and served them with like manner, they would, their life would be very different. Yeah? Why? Because you serve with what you have. You serve with what you have. Mature sons and daughters are given to service, which never changes, regardless of their ascension in spiritual matters. But the more you grow, the greater impact your service begins to have. The more you carry, the more you give. And the greater impact your service has on a person. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That was actually Matthew 23. It was in the context of leadership. Jesus came. He is the greatest. And he served you with eternal life. He served you with life instead of death because of who he was and what he carried. His service to you was greater than my service to you. And as you grow in God and as you increase in stature and increase in spiritual authority, even in practical matters, you can serve. You continue to serve, but your service begins to have vastly different impact vastly different impact because the greatest among you shall serve. You serve to grow, but you also grow to serve. You serve to grow, but you grow to serve because your service changes and it has greater impact on the person you're serving. Amen? Let's go look at the master again. John chapter 13, if you could go there. If you want to see how the master did it, the funny thing is, the more you grow, sometimes people think, well, I'm this person, so I'm going to serve you with my strength and with what I have, but, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore. We're never beyond menial tasks. It just doesn't happen. I'm amazed. I am I'm trying to th flabbergasted, if that's a good word, at some of the young people who are like, well, I'll get a job that, you know, it's, like, it's too below them to, to work for, you know, while they look, or to work for, just get a job. Work. Because it will change you as you work. You need to learn under authority. Let's go to John chapter 13, and let's read this. This is the way of the Master. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Who of you have ever been through already something, you know, traumatic happens, and the world is just all of a sudden upside down? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Jesus now knows his hour is here. And from a young boy, he would have known, probably they say from age 12, but he knew the scriptures. 
He knew Isaiah 52 was talking about him, that he's going to be beaten beyond the image and the marred beyond the image of a man. He understood what was coming. He knew the Old Testament. And now he knows that's coming now. That's coming now. You know, I've seen some people that go through a tough time and they're like, I need your help. They're like, not now. You don't know what I'm going through. Not now. I can't help you now. I'm, I'm, my world is upside down. Leave me alone. Jesus, his hour had come. What was his focus? The other people. To serve other people. To love them to the end. Even though they had no context of what he was about to go through. You know what teaches that to you? Parenting. It's like parenting. When you parent kids, you, everything's like this. And they're like, I want this. You're like, no. That's a good word for parents. Just say no. So, Passover. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, verse 2, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse 3, incredible verse, three points. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and in a sense wrapped it around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Jesus, knowing the Father, had given all things into his hands. What is that, friends? That is all authority. All, not some, all. All authority on heaven and on earth. He knew it. He hadn't gone and actually physically done it yet, but he knew God had given it. He knew he had all authority. All authority. Since he had come from God, he knew where he had come from. What's that? Identity. The word father actually means to come forth from. He knew where he had come forth from. He knew his father. He knew who he was. He was secure. He was mature. Then it says he knew his future, that he had a secured inheritance. He knew where he was going. He was going to heaven. He knew, I'm going there. There's a reason we always preach here on identity and understanding how God sees you, because the place that you serve from changes. Jesus had all authority, knew his identity, knew he was going. And if that was you, just try to think about this. God comes to you, says, I'm going to give you all authority. All. What you say goes. It's your call. You know, your future is secured. Inheritance, finance, whatever the future is for you. It's secured. Your future is secured. Your past is secured. And you have all authority. What would you do with that? I know what he did with it. What would we do with it? There's, there's the way of the master that there's the way of our king, the servant king, that is too, it's too amazing for a human to sometimes understand. From that position of knowing those things, he took off his garments and he washed their feet. I saw a couple come in the office the other day. As I saw them, the Lord said to me, John 13. There was a couple that don't speak English. But as I saw them, the Lord said to me, honor, that, honor them. Honor them. And I didn't know who they were. But they don't speak English. So 
you know, little translator came in. They, we just wanted to have a meet and greet. I discovered that they had planted churches all over different places. And I said, okay, well, this is what I saw. And I, the Lord said to me, John 13, I knew what that meant. So I said, would you mind if I do something that's a little strange? And I got down and washed their feet. And no, that's not too, it's just that simple obedience. But what I, we heard afterwards was that they'd been from church to church to church to church all around the area, they don't speak English. No one had greeted, they'd never received any honor whatsoever. And what's amazing is the power of God hit them. Strong, the power of God hit them just by a little simple act. And Jesus washes their feet. And it says he laid aside his garments. Now garments, I'll talk to you briefly about garments. Garments in the Old Testament. Everything he did there actually, uh, to lay aside your garments, to ri- even to rise up before others, to take a towel, to wrap, all of those are what they call servile activities. They were all activities that servants do, only servants. And it's interesting to me that none of the disciples rushed to say, no, Jesus, I'll do it. They just let him do it. <laughs> if their, focus, their focus wasn't his focus. They, they were still mostly about them. So Jesus does these things, and he says this. He's laid aside his garments. There's a prevailing language of garments in the Old Testament, if I can quickly take a sidetrack here. There's priestly garments, warrior garments, kingly garments, worshiper garments. The Bible speaks of garments of praise. Isaiah 52 speaks of beautiful garments. Isaiah 63 talks about dyed garments as of blood that are glorious in apparel. The whole Old Testament, there's old garments like this, garments like that. And you know what it was? It was an identity issue. You would look at the garment that they wore and say, oh, that's a worshiper. Oh, that's a priest. Oh, that's a warrior. Oh, that's this person. Think about Joseph's robe. You could identify from a distance who he was because of the garment, because of what he wore. It was an identity issue. The whole Old Testament is like that. In the New Testament, you wear a robe of righteousness. That's just a fact. It's the, the starting place of your identity, that you stand righteous. If you don't understand righteousness, the gospel of grace, in its true form, it's very difficult for God to actually put his calling, the mantle that he has for you, on your life. The priests used to have to wear, they were not allowed to wear wool because wool would make them sweat. And sweat would profane what God wanted to do. It's very interesting. Let me quickly show you this. Um, God doesn't want man sweat on his offerings. The Old Testament says that. That's why I believe Cain's offering wasn't accepted. The Bible says God cursed the ground. He said, by the sweat of your brow you will fruit and harvest and so forth. So what caused him great sweat, great toil, great labor? He brings that to sacrifice to the Lord. God said, no. Abel brings the blood of an innocent, a lamb. In Exodus 20, I think it is, he commands Moses, if you're going to build an altar for me, make sure that no tool or nothing cuts it. I want earth uncut stones. I don't want any tool to cut it. I don't want man's sweat, man's effort on my altar. He says the same thing in Deuteronomy 27. It's very, very important to understand. When the priests wore garments, they were actually not allowed to perspire. They had to wear certain garments that would keep them cool. And on top of those garments, their mantles would go. Unless we understand that we're righteous, you will serve to gain. You will serve to gain a position in the church. Look what I'm doing. 
or you will serve to because you, 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 there's an insecurity, and you know what? We all have those. It's not a, it's not a, I'm not, it's not a rebuke. But when we serve for that, we get hurt very quickly. Because we serve to get applause, and we don't get applause because we weren't serving him, and maybe they didn't notice like they should have noticed, and and on it goes. I think they should be honored. I think they should be thanked. But it just doesn't always happen like that. God doesn't want man sweat on his offerings. It speaks of grace, the merits of Jesus Christ, that we have a robe of righteousness. It's based on his merit and his merit alone. Upon that inner robe becomes your calling, your mantle, whatever you're called to do. Friends, it's a major, major point when it comes to service. He doesn't want effort. He wants it to be based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's it. And then your calling, what you call to, begins to come forth from you, begins to come out of you. Because he doesn't want effort on his psalter. Now, what does that have to do with serving? When it says he laid aside his garments, it's like he laid aside his identity, knowing that all things had been given into his hands, knowing that he was going to the Father, knowing that he had all authority. It's like he took that off for a moment and put it over there and began to serve. Began to serve. Began to wash their feet began to take care of them. With this, his hour had come. He puts off all of that and says, well, I'm going to serve you now. He showed us both. And what do I mean by that? The greatest among you will be your servant. You can serve from what you have. You can serve from your strength. You can serve from your wealth, from your position, from your title. You can serve from a place of stature and strength, from greatness in a sense. You can serve, and your serving has great impact. Sometimes you're called to take that off and just serve because we're called to serve. That's the DNA of the kingdom. Jesus did both all the time. He did both. I was taught by my parents to serve. It was just, it's part of the DNA of the kingdom. And I was just taught to serve. So when I recommitted my life to the Lord, the very next week, I went to the guy who led the church, big church, that point I was about 1800, 1500. And I went to the guy and I said, um, Where can I serve? And he said, Who are you? I said, You know, got saved in a sense last week. And he had me do AV, which is not, if you know me, that was a bad idea. But I, I did it. I did it for 18 months. I did it for a year and a half. And, you know, I learned. I learned that it's not fun back there because you're worshiping, something's wrong, and all the heads go. <laughs> It's not fun. They have a lot of power back there. They can put words up there whenever they want. So it's a very, you want to be nice to them, you know. Don't listen to him behind me. As a, no. So I served an AV, and, and I just did it for as long as they wanted me to do it. I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. But, you know, people are like, what is the call of God on your life? You know, sometimes it's not this God. It's just put a towel over your arm and serve. That's it. Just serve. I went from there to something else, from there to something else, from there to something else. When they asked me to come on staff, there wasn't this, I look now in hindsight, and I see in hindsight the call of God in my life from a young child. I didn't see it then. There's certain things you don't see looking forward, you only see them looking back, because it requires trust. Then I was, I was in the business, I, I was actually earning fine money, all that was great, but I was looking forward. I didn't understand, I was waiting for the Clayton, I have called you. 
That never came. Friends, that never came. Never. I just served. Because serve, service will lay a path. It lays a path. You can serve from your strength, or you can take your strength off and serve. And when they asked me to come full-time ministry, I was terrified. I said, no, I can't do that. I can't. I just kept saying no. They kept asking. Eventually, I said yes. And I asked them, why me? And I thought, you know, you think, because of your great gifts. They said, no. They said, because if we, it was so simple. They said, because if we ask you to do something, we know we won't have to ask you twice. That was it. It's like you'll actually do it. And they had me do awful things. I, I won't lie. It really did. <laughs> But it was never some call. But friends, it's the way of the master. It's to serve. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Some of you, let me ask you a quick question, and then we can be done. What is your mantle? Not, I'm not talking about in the spirit. Oh, I'm a prophet. Oh, I'm evangelist. That's all great. But what weight do you carry? Some of you can serve with that. Is it business? Is it finance? Is it, is it skill? You carry something. You may not know what it is, but you all carry something. Amen. And you bring your strength. For sometimes we have to put that off and just serve because it's needed. It just is. There's both. And so just ask the Lord. You know, I understand there's some guy that does our books. He gets up, I don't know what time in the morning, early, early, earlier than me, very early, like really early like at four o'clock sometimes, and he drives forever, commute, and gets home late, and, and I mean, I understand that sometimes practical life, but there's also a Sunday, we need lots of help Sunday, and so there's something to do, I, I, I've seen in many churches the 80-20 thing, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and so we've had complaints before where it's like, well, we're alive, and everything looks great, so we don't have to do anything, that's because there's a bunch of people that are lying down sleeping in the back somewhere from exhaustion. But uh, my heart is to, is to not just, you know, serve so we can be... No, it's not that, friends. It's, there's something in it for you. There's a blessing in it for you. There's growth for you. There's stature for you. There's iron sharpening iron for you. But I would love to see 100%. I've had other pastors tell me, you're crazy. That's never going to happen. I have faith for it, 100%. Everybody doing something, sometimes even if it's tiny. I'm going to pick this cup up. I'm going to take it. I'm going to put it over there. Well done. Well done. What is the, the, the main attribute in Scripture? What is the main attribute associated with service? Faithfulness. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Not my good and skilled servant. Not my good and powerful servant. Faithful. Faithful. It says of David at the end of his life, says he was faithful in all of God's house. So we would love to see people bring their strength. The best thing to do is sometimes when like with my wife, she's a, a great administrator, I am not so much. So if she served trying to do what I'm called to do and I served by administrating, things wouldn't go so well. So yes, we want people to serve in their strength, but there are times where we've got to take that off and just serve. Yeah. 